0: Please join me in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. As we go through this series, Distracted, the modern church's struggle. Last week, Pastor Dave challenged us with the solution for distraction. We need to focus on Christ. As Christians, we must be focused on the one who willingly sacrificed himself on a cross to save us. We must aim the direction of our lives on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to discuss one of the most powerful and perhaps the most dangerous distraction that we face in this life. And it has to do with a popular four-letter word, love. In October of 2017, a new Christian song was released by Bethel Music, titled Reckless Love. Now, you've probably heard this song, and maybe you like it. It quickly became one of the most popular Christian songs in the world. However, like many modern Christian songs, there's a few major problems with the theology of this song. And there's one problem in particular that I want to point out this morning. In this song, the author, Corey Asbury, describes God's love. As reckless trying to highlight the depth and beauty of god's love now i understand the concept of artistic license but the truth is mr asbury couldn't have chosen a worse word to describe god's sovereign and holy love reckless means careless thoughtless Ephesians 1 tells us that God predestined us in love. He chose us before the foundation of the world to receive his love. Before anyone was ever created, God chose us to receive his mercy and grace. That doesn't sound reckless or careless to me. Romans 9 tells us that God loved Jacob and he hated Esau before they were even born. God placed his special redeeming love on Jacob before he took his first breath. God's love is not careless. God's love is not reckless. But my point this morning is not to rip on this song. There is a point to this. God's love is careful, direct, and thoughtful. However, that lyric perfectly describes human love. The chorus should sing something like this Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of man. Now that is spot on. Mankind loves recklessly. Our affections and desires are so easily persuaded that we can't even decide when we go, what we want when we go to McDonald's. Right? We pull up to the menu, our jaws hit the floor, our eyes get big, and we, oh, I wanted a Big Mac. But look at the fries and look at the chicken sandwich. We can't even decide what we want. Why is that? Because we're fickle creatures. We're fickle. And in First John chapter 2, John is addressing our fickle nature First john lays out what a true christian looks like And in this chapter john has identified two characteristics of a child of god If you're a child of god, you will love god and you will love god's people And now in verse 15 John gives us another characteristic in the form of a command It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If we could just grasp that statement, our lives, our marriages, our families, our churches would be different. This command has so much significance. It has so much weight. Now to understand it, we have to understand what John is talking about when he says the world. He's not talking about this physical earth. But he's talking about the sin-cursed dominion of Satan and his followers that resides on this earth. That we all live in. This world is under the power of the evil one. This world is opposed to God and his word. And John is warning us about the constant battle for our affections. The world and the sinful things of this world are fighting for your love and attention. So John is telling us, don't be distracted by this world. True Christians do not love the world. And so John gives us three reasons why we cannot love the world. The first is right in verse 15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. You can't love God and this world. Do not love the world because you can't love this world And God. John's message is simple. If you love this world. Then you don't love God. Someone that loves the world. Is infatuated. With the pleasures. And pursuits of this sinful realm. They're enamored by the ideas of success. Wealth. Fame. And status. If that describes you if you're pursuing the pleasures and riches of this world, then you don't love the Father. If your only goal in this life is to be successful, to be happy, and to have fun, then you're not God's child. Those that love this world do not love God because the world hates God. The world hates God. It's in rebellion against him. God's love cannot dwell in someone that hates him. The fact is, those that love this world are enemies of God. Remember, this world is not neutral towards God. And neither is the one who loves it. And this is why we must obey John's command. If our affections are captured by the world, then we have no assurance of salvation. God's children will not love the world. God's children will not love the very thing that hates him. John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Now that phrase, the love of the Father, is a little ambiguous. It's a little hard to define, and I think that's for a reason. Does it mean the Father's redeeming love is not in his heart? Or his heart does not possess true love for the Father? And the answer is yes. If you are in love with this world, then you're not God's child. His love has not been poured into your heart. And you don't love the father. So this is a very sobering statement. Scripture has multiple examples of people that loved the world. The most explicit example is that of Demas. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's asking him to come visit him quickly because this random person named Demas has deserted him. And in verse 10 of chapter 4, Paul says that Demas was in love with this present world. What would possibly cause a man to abandon the apostle Paul who performed miracles, planted churches, preached christ and wrote scripture love for this world paul doesn't get into the specifics but his reason is sufficient demas loved this world more than the father And so we see from the example of Demas that love for this world will destroy your testimony. Love for this world will destroy your ministry. Love for this world will destroy your family. Love for this world will ultimately destroy your life. This is why it's so important. This is why John is writing to us. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And don't miss the importance of the name that John repeatedly uses for God in this section. He says the Father, the love of the Father. Verse 16, he uses the Father. The Father God. The one who willingly sent his only son to his enemy. To die for his enemy. To save His enemy, the father who has made us his children by the sacrifice of his son. The one who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. The one who knows what's best for us because he created us. So anyone that continues to love and pursue this world, this evil system that hates God and rejects his word, is not a true child of God. How could you possibly hate the one who saved you? You can't. This passage is sobering because we think to ourselves, well, wait a second. Don't we all struggle with this? Don't we all struggle with this? Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Right? I wrestle with this. I wrestle with love for this world. My affections are often distracted by pleasure, and riches, fame, and fun. But keep in mind that John is writing to believers. He's warning us about the dangers of this world. And a major theme in John's letter is the importance of perseverance. Perseverance. John writes in chapter 2, verse 19, the same chapter. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So he's writing about these people that left the church. They committed apostasy. They left the faith. And John says they left from us because they were never one of us. They left because they're not true children of God. And this is a warning to us because we must persevere in our faith. Many people will leave the faith because they're never truly in the faith. So John is exhorting us to continue in the faith by protecting our affections. We have to guard our hearts against infatuation with this world. Because as we said at the beginning, man loves recklessly. We place our love on things thoughtlessly and carelessly. Like a father protects his daughter from harmful men. We must protect our hearts from evil influences. Like a mama bear who guards her cubs, we must guard our souls against the world. Do you love the world or do you love God? Have you allowed the world's pleasures to distract you from the Father? This world tells you to live your best life. Be happy. Be you. But the Bible tells us that these pursuits are against God. When we live for this world, we are fighting against God. And the philosophies of this world, the ideas and the beliefs of this world are creeping in. They're creeping into our hearts. They're creeping into our churches and even into our own homes. These ideas like spanking my child doesn't work when God says whoever spares the rod hates his son. The world tells you, you don't need to give to the church. Your attendance, your service is enough. But God commands us to test him with our giving. This world tells us, The church should be more fun. The church should be more entertaining. Worship should be emotional and upbeat and engaging. It should be bringing people in in the masses. There should be lights and smoke and drums and everything. But God says that the church should be orderly and focused on the word. Fill in the blank. The world is attacking you from every direction. Will you give in or will you choose to love the father? Furthermore, as children of God, we can't be one foot in and one foot out with our faith. Christianity is not just something you do on Sunday. This is a lifestyle. This is a commitment. The church is who we are. We need to own our identity. And we need to seek first the kingdom of God. We need to put off the desires for riches and fun and entertainment and comfort. And then we need to put on faithful service, disciplined study of God's word. And diligent prayer. Because if we fall in love with the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. Going on, the second reason that John gives why Christians cannot love the world in verse 16: because you can't serve sin and God. You can't serve sin and God. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. John is explaining what this world is all about. And it comes down to one word sin. This world. This system of Satan and his rebellion against God is all about one thing, sin. And John describes all that is in the world. And he uses these three statements that are three avenues, three pathways of sin. This is how sin operates and dominates this world and us. The first avenue that he lists says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. The first avenue by which sin overtakes us is the desires of the flesh. This is the desire to make yourself happy above all else. You pursue your happiness above everything else. You could call it selfishness or self-centeredness. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 21, tells us what our flesh wants. It says, Galatians five nineteen, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, Dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like these I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God These are the desires of the flesh sexual sins relational sins Ritual sins and substance abuse are all works of our sinful flesh. We give in to these temptations ultimately because they make us feel good. They're pleasurable. That's why they're so tempting in the first place. These desires bring us pleasure. They make us feel good. Sin is pleasurable. It's fun but it's against God. That's the point John is making. This is against God and it is not for his children. The desires of the flesh, the second avenue that sin uses to distract us, the desires of the eyes. This is the desire to have what you see. When we see things that we like, and don't have or can't have We begin to want them to the point of greed Jealousy adultery pornography immodesty Sin uses our physical senses like our vision to tempt us with the pleasures of this world The desires of the eyes When I think about this Avenue of sin, the desires of the eyes. I remember the story of Sodom and Genesis chapter 19. If you remember the story of Lot and his family, they lived in the most wicked and sinful and worldly city this world has probably ever seen Sodom. This city was so bad that God was going to rain fire from heaven and wipe it off the face of the earth. And he come, God comes to Abraham and he tells them this. And Abraham pleads with God to spare anyone that is righteous in Sodom, knowing that Lot lives there. So God, in his mercy, sends two angels to rescue Lot. And then we have this baffling narrative of Lot trying to stay in the city despite the angels warning him about the coming destruction. Eventually, the angels literally have to seize Lot and his family, and they have to drag them out of the city because they don't want to go. And as they're fleeing, the angels tell them not to look back on the city because it was devoted for destruction. But Lot's wife couldn't help it. She stopped, turned, and looked at her beloved city. She just had to see it one more time. She had to look one more time. And instantly, she became a pillar of salt and died. She just had to look one more look, and it cost her her life. That's the desires of the eyes. That feeling of, I just got to see it. I just have to look. The third avenue of sin, John lists here, is the pride of life. The pride of life. This is the desire to be self-sufficient or the desire to be independent from God. Or basically, to be God. Sin makes us so arrogant, so foolish, that we actually think that we can exist without God. When we sin, we are declaring ourselves to be above God and above his law. This is the foolishness of sin. This is the depravity of sin. How stupid we must be as creatures from the dirt to think that we're above the Most High God. But sin uses our arrogance and our pride to distract us from our need for God. Now, I believe that this passage is alluding to Eve. And her sin in the garden. As we read in Genesis chapter 3 of the first sin. We see the serpent who is the devil. Who comes to the garden. And the perfection of the garden. And he begins to tempt Eve with the forbidden fruit. If you remember the serpent twists God's word. Did God really say? And he instills doubt in Eve's heart. Then verse 6 of chapter 3 of Genesis gives us all three of these ingredients for sin. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. You can see the pattern that John has just laid out right here in Genesis 3 Eve's flesh desired the fruit it was good for food it looks tasty Eve's eyes delighted in the fruit it looks nice it's pretty what's wrong with it and then she desired to be like God the fruit was desired to make one wise Sin has been corrupting the world the same way since the beginning of time. So John is warning us about this destructive nature of sin because it attacks us as individuals. It attacks us when we're alone. Sin attacks you by yourself. It uses your fleshly desires. It uses your senses to break down your defenses and to get you. To rebel against your Creator and to do the most foolish thing imaginable to try to be God, to try to take His place. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. God abhors sin. God hates sin. John says all of these things in the world are not from the Father. They're not from the one who loves you and created you. The desire to pursue your happiness above all else, the desire to have everything that you see, the desire to be above all is not from the Father. These are not from the one who created you and loves you. These are from this world. These desires are hostile to God and his word. These desires oppose your heavenly father. Ultimately, these sinful lusts will leave you broken, depressed, and estranged from God. Do not love the world or the things in the world. John is writing to us as a brother. He's saying sin will separate you from the father. This world hates our father. So don't be in love with it. Don't be friendly with the enemy of your father. Don't allow the anti-God beliefs of this world to distance you from your heavenly father. Don't allow the pleasures and wealth of this world to hinder your relationships with the loving creator. It's not worth it. Our father is far better than anything this world can offer. How about you? Are you serving sin or God? Do you allow the world to persuade your desires? Do you pursue the lust of your flesh? Do you take one more look because you just got to see it? The truth is, what we serve is what we love. What we serve is what we love. More often than not, we serve self. We are incredibly selfish people. We spend more time thinking about ourselves, taking care of ourselves, and helping ourselves than anything else. We have the mentality of life is all about me. And that's the exact mentality that the world wants you to have. The world says, be you, do you, live for you. But when you live for yourself, you're not living for God. This is why the church is so important. We're a family. And as a family, we need to hold each other accountable. If one of our members is demonstrating patterns of selfishness and pride, then we need to confront that sin. We need to confront that sin. We also need to be daily examining our own hearts and repent of our sin. Understanding our fickle nature and how easily we're persuaded by love for this world. We need to be a family that serves and protects each other. So my question for you is what are you serving? Sin or God? And John gives us a third and final reason why Christians cannot love the world. Because you can't live for today and eternity. You can't live for today and eternity. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This world and all its desires are passing away. Sin is temporary. These things that we so love and desire won't last. And they won't last because they oppose the eternal God. And one day, God will destroy sin. He will cleanse this earth. Everything on this sin-cursed world will be burned up in the final judgment, cleansed by fire. God will win in the end. God will have the final say. So don't be on the wrong side. Don't live for today and pass away with this world. The pleasures and desires of this world our vanity, their vanity. King Solomon knew the vanity of this world better than anybody else. In fact, he wrote a whole book about it the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon is trying to figure out the meaning of life. What is the meaning of all of this? Because ultimately, we're all going to die someday. Every single one of us. One day our hearts will stop. We'll stop breathing and we'll die. So what's the point? What's the meaning of life? So he's wrestling with this question. What is life about? And he begins to test certain answers that the world will give you. Like, life is all about knowledge. Learn as much as you can. Or life is all about pleasure. Have as much fun as you can. Or life is about success. Life is about work. As he goes through each of these tests, he comes to the same conclusion. It's all vanity. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Solomon is testing the answer of self-indulgence, of pleasure. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I made great works I built houses and planted vineyards for myself I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone any who had been before me in jerusalem I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men, women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this this was my reward For all my toil then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended In doing it and behold all was vanity A striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained Under the sun Solomon was probably the richest man to ever live It's estimated that he was worth about two trillion dollars in today's currency And so he had it all and as he goes to this passage, he says, I tried this, I build things, and I had friends, and I had relationships, had everything you could ever want. I kept my heart from no pleasure. And in the end of the matter, he says, all was vanity. It's meaningless. Solomon's conclusion is that living for pleasure is meaningless. No matter what, no matter how much fun you have, You're still going to die someday. And no amount of possessions can change that. Eventually, Solomon does find the answer. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The very end of the book says this. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The meaning of life is found only in the creator of life. Man's responsibility, man's purpose is to fear God and to obey his word. Because God is the final judge, and he's going to judge each and every one of us. So if you live for this world, then you will be judged as this world. But if you live for God, then you will reap an eternal reward. In contrast to this temporary world that is full of vanity John says back in chapter 2, verse 17, the world is passing away along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. In contrast to this temporary world, God never fades or passes away. God is eternal. He's the self-existent one. He has always been and he will always be. Satan and his rebellion against God are not even a drop in the ocean of God's eternal existence. Not even a drop in the ocean. He is the self existent one, the only eternal God. Don't miss the promise at the end of verse 17. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Those that do the will of the eternal God will have eternal life. What is God's will? Solomon described it. He said it was to fear God, to keep his commandments. First, God's will is for you to be saved. God wants you to be his child To obey his will, you must repent of your sin and place your trust in Christ's work on the cross. The Bible says we must confess Christ as our Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. You will be adopted into God's family and granted eternal life with him. But that's not all. God also wills us to be sanctified. Sanctified. That is, he wants us to be conformed to the image of his perfect and holy son. That's why we must be focused on Christ. Because he's the goal. He's the reward. He's the end. We must be faithful to his word. And we must forsake the sin of this world. If we persevere in the will of God, then he will reward us with eternal life. Many of you have probably heard of the famous quarterback, Tom Brady. For those of you that don't know who he is, he's the greatest quarterback to ever touch a football, maybe the greatest athlete to ever live. He has more Super Bowls, more touchdowns than anybody else. He's a millionaire. He's won Multiple Super Bowls. He's reached all of his goals. He has all that this world can offer. He had an interview with CBS a few years ago. They sat him down at the peak of his career. They were talking to him. And as he reflected on his life, as he reflected on all that he had, he said this, there's got to be more for me than this. There's got to be more for me than this. And the, now the interviewer asked him, what is it? And he said, I don't know, but there's got to be more. This man has it all. He has all the world can offer. Money, fame, success, family. And he still, still feels empty and lost. And the truth is, he's right. Because this world and its desires are passing away. It can never satisfy your soul. Sure, it might be fun. Sure, it might give you some pleasure for a little while, but it won't satisfy you in the end. Only the creator God can. The meaning of life is only found in him because he is the eternal God, because he is the creator of life. Your money, your houses, boats, Four-wheelers are passing away. Take Solomon's word for it. Those things won't fix your problems. Those things are vanity. Sure, they may be fun, but you're still going to die someday. And those things will rot and fade and be given away. Teenagers, this world will tell you this life is all you have. So live it up. Follow your dreams. Make the most of it. But don't buy into this lie of the devil. If you live for this world, then you will die with this world. But if you live for God, then you will live forever. Don't live for today and miss eternity. Don't give yourself to sin and face. God's coming wrath. Choose eternity. Live for God. Oh, the reckless love of man. Our affections are so easily persuaded and captured. As sinful beings, our desires are constantly being attacked by this world. We need to be aware of this constant battle for our souls. We need to set our affections on God and his word because everything else is passing away. Don't love the world because it hates the father. Don't love the world because you can't serve sin and God. Don't love the world because you can't live for today and eternity. Three so what's as we go. As we conclude this morning, number one, repent of your love for this world. Many of you are hanging on to something in this world that is sinful. I'm sure you've maybe thought about it this morning as you sit in your seat. But I like it, but I love it. I have so much invested into it. Give it up. Repent of your sin and your love for this world. Number two. Serve God with your life. You're always serving something. You're always pursuing something. It could be God, it could be yourself, or it could be sin. Choose to serve God. And then number three, live for eternity. Don't be distracted by the temporary. Don't be distracted by the vain Focus on Christ and his reward, and you won't be disappointed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so humbled by your love for us. Lord, we are so easily persuaded by this world, the very thing that hates you. And yet you love us and you pursue us. And you always forgive us through your son. Lord, we pray that you'd work in each and every one of our hearts the power of your spirit. That you would open our eyes to where we have become distracted with this world. And I pray that you'd help us to repent of these things and refocus our hearts and our lives on Jesus and his reward. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.